Let's pray. We read with our eyes your written word, O God. But that's not all we want to see. We want to see the God who stands behind these written words, the God who filled a heart of a man named Daniel. We want to see today a God who speaks through these words of Scripture and this life that we behold into our hearts and in our times. So do open the eyes of our heart, O God, to receive you this morning and to know that as you speak, we will listen and we will see this world differently because of it. In Jesus' name, all of God's people said, amen. Well, it's the beginning of a new series of messages. Over the course of seven weeks, Pastor Alan and I are going to tackle the book of Daniel. I'm excited about this because the book of Daniel is a book and what that invites us to do is not just read Scripture in piecemeal fashion, but actually to read it as it was intended, to actually read an entire book from beginning uh, roughly to the end. Um, we're going to put this last six chapters together because they're an a overwhelming vision, um, but we're going to get the kind of trajectory of what this prophetic book of the Old Testament is all about. And I hope that you have an amazing time, and I hope that you actually adopt some of this into the rhythm of your devotional life at home, that you're reading Daniel as I'm reading Daniel. I was so encouraged when my dear wife, Renee, who's been with me for 24 years doing this pastor thing, I'm up in Idaho this past week at a conference, and she sends me a screenshot of something she was listening to on K-Love, the radio station, and says, this would be great for Daniel chapter something. I was so excited that she was reading God's word with me, and I hope that you'll do the same so that together we can give ourselves over to this word from Scripture and receive the words of this prophetic vision and apply them into our lives as well. So would you try to do that with me? If you're not a big reader or whatnot, you can get it on audiophile at biblegateway.com. It's just great. The book of Daniel, the book of Daniel is an opportunity for us to get higher resolution. I first preached the book of Daniel as the opening series of messages um, for uh, the new year. And so as everybody was adopting resolutions, I decided we're going to do resolutions. And so we're going to get after the same piece because the fall after Labor Day is kind of, we get back into a different swing of things. Unless you're retired, which is fine, I am not super envious of you, but then you're just, you just kind of go and life is just joy all year long. But if you're, if you're like me, kids go back to school and so on and so forth, this is kind of we're launching back into nine months of real life when the weather allegedly gets better. I believe that by faith, not by sight or any other sense of my body. It's fine. So higher resolution, and um, the purpose of this whole series is to increase our confidence in God's continued lordship. Daniel found himself taken from the promised land where the Israelites were living their covenant life with God and taken into a completely different environment. It would have been completely justified for him to question whether or not God's continuing lordship was active in his life or the life of the kinsmen, the people that he had grown up with. Uh, Daniel, the book, is there to increase our confidence that God's lordship continues. And it's also, it also exists in order to increase our resolve, our resolution, to act accordingly. 
So we're going to let God's word speak. And we are going to digest, as the old Lutherans used to say, we are going to eat and inwardly digest this word from God. And in order to do that, I thought we'd start with a little visual quiz. Kind of like what we did last week. And uh, so we're going to have a fruit or vegetable quiz. Now, if you're thinking, how many of these silly quizzes are we going to have at the beginning of every Seidler sermon? I promise this is the last one for at least a while until I figure out for next week's sermon another one, and then we'll do it next week. But so here's the question. Is this a fruit or is this a vegetable? Rhubarb. How many of you, well, slow down here. I got to get the setup question. Oh, man, type A people here at Shepherd of the Desert. Is this a fruit or is this a vegetable? How many of you say fruit? How many of you say vegetable? It is a vegetable. Doesn't it look like a vegetable? I mean, come on, how hard was this? Okay, now, uh, olives here, without pimentos, by the way, so there's no confusing what are you actually saying yes to, olives, fruit or vegetable. How many of you say fruit? How many of you say vegetable? It actually is a root. How about that? It's a fruit. Pea pods. Fruit? Vegetable. It is a fruit. Now... So, some of you are disagreeing with me right now, <laughs> and that's fine. Matt McLean, our director for communication, was the one who came up with all of this. So, for those horticulturalists, do not whine at me as you leave church today as if this is my fault. His name is M. McLean at sotdaz.org. Email blast him this afternoon. Okay, next one. Cucumber, how many of you say vegetable? How many of you say fruit? It is a fruit. I know, I know. Man, if anybody, anybody has a job or a new uh, uh, kind of employment for Matt, um, he'll, he'll need some help this coming Monday, apparently. So, so now here's the reason why we do this, okay? The, the title of today's message is, When Vegetables Are Fruits. The, the kind of the fun with that phrase is that um, Daniel chose, as we remember the reading, he chose vegetables as a way of honoring God and distancing himself from the lordship of the competing king. And so therefore, the vegetable was actually the fruit of his faith. You get it? So just remember that, and now I'm going to move on with the rest of my sermon. So, so this is ultimately where we're at. There was a king who was a competitor with the one true king, and Daniel had a choice to make. And that choice could have costed him his life, and that choice could have costed others in his orbit of influence, his supervisors, the guards that were with him, their lives as well. Let's give ourselves over for the rest of this message to some of the lessons that we learn in Daniel chapter 1. Number one lesson, first lesson. Let's read this out loud with me. I may live in exile, but I do not have to act like it. You should recognize this true statement. Every single one of us lives in an experience of exile. You understand this, right? Exile strictly speaking, is being taken from one location and being put unwillingly in a different location. 
Daniel left the nation and the land of Israel and Judah, he was taken to the land of present-day Iraq, and he was situated there, and he was in a geographic exile. But all of us live in a kind of exile as well. By the very fact that we have sin and evil around us in this world and at work in our self-centered hearts, there is a geographic distance between us and God. In fact, sometimes people will ask, you know, what is sin? What is sin actually? You know, is it a moral failure? Is it some kind of disobedience to follow God's will? One of the ways that I teach, especially our confirmation kids, what sin is, is it is geographical separation from God. The holy God of Israel is here, at least mentally, in the mind's eye, and sin displaces us and moves us over here. So to speak of sin is to speak of our exile from God. And while we may live in exile because of the various choices we make, the attitudes we harbor toward others, to ourselves, nevertheless, God says, just because that's the state and condition of your soul, you do not have to now, as my child, follow its impulses, desires, and passions. I guess the question is for you today as we start this study of Daniel, are you ready to live in exile as if you actually don't belong there? Are you ready to make choices that show you are a different kind of person than everybody else in this world who lives in exile with you? Your answer, if you're like me, this pastor, is probably or at least should reasonably be, yeah, I don't know if I want to do that. Because the reality is, it's hard to live in exile as if you don't belong there. It is so much easier to binge watch the shows on Netflix that bring no honor to God. It's so much easier, and we do it every day, to spend our money in ways that say we really have more of an investment living in this world than we do serving others in this world that God loves but who are living in even greater distance from him. We may live in exile. We don't have to act that way. And I want you through the book of Daniel, through the course of our sermon study here these next several weeks to consider where is it that God is asking me to choose differently than the exile expects of me. Lesson number one. Lesson number two. Lesson number two. Let's read this out loud. They may rob me of my name, but they cannot rob me of my character. I find it fascinating. Fascinating. And great job on reading. I mean, wow. That was just, that was just a, a train wreck of syllables. I mean, who does that to their parishioners? This guy. Anywho. So what does King Nebuchadnezzar do? What was his way of assimilating uh, these new captives. He took their name. He said, you've grown up getting used to this name. You're not only going to lose your name, you're going to lose your language, you're going to lose your diet, you're going to lose your customs, and I'm even going to make you dress like me. And if I can get you to do all of those things, which I have done successfully, by the way, in successive conquests throughout this Middle Eastern world then you will ultimately, in a single generation, forget who you are, where you came from, and more than anything else, you'll forget the God that you served. And you'll understand 
you'll understand that the guy who changes your name is the actual God of your life. Let me ask you this. Do you think the culture in which we live in this most powerful, well-resourced nation of ours, do you think this culture of ours desires to have that same achievement with each of us in this room? People pay lots of money to figure out how to capture the under 49 TV audience. People pay lots of money to market to kids between the ages of 11 and 18. They desire to capture us. And by capturing us to give us new names, new music, new clothes, new cars, new turns of phrase, they may rob me of a lot of things and I may dress like this culture, talk like this culture, be named after this culture. Why doesn't anybody name their kids Scott anymore? Because that died out in 1971 and went down the hill after that. But they can't rob me of my character. They can't rob you of who you really are down deep. You are a child of God. You were created for a purpose. Remember that. Even when the oppression is thick. I uh, took out this little daddy. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I'm monitoring my screen time. I am too embarrassed to even tell you how much I'm on this phone. Text messaging, emailing, playing Clash Royale and restocking my tiny towers. I mean, it is absolutely ridiculous. Hashtag 5,000 trophies. But my point is, <laughs> my point is, that this phone and the screens that compel us to look at them, they rob us of so much of our identity. We are controlled. I mean, we can't live without them. I mean, we can. I mean, technically, we're not eating these things or breathing them or drinking them. But, but these are essential now to our life in this world, just like telephones were and, and, and automobiles and whatnot. The question is, is, is this going to be equal to my character? It's just a gut check question. I want you to think about that. Third lesson. Third lesson. Let's read it out loud together. Faith inspires others to risk with me. I'm going to risk. But I find it fascinating that as Daniel is being written, and remember, it's a prophecy, so a prophet is there to create and bring people to a vision of what could be. So the whole book's a prophecy, even though the first chapter is really kind of a, a historical description of what happened when Daniel got to Babylon. But it's still a prophetic word. And the prophetic nature of chapter 1 says this, that when God's people step out and take a risk in following God and having confidence in him, all of a sudden, hearts swell and other people who may not be confident, who have lost their name and may even have lost their identity to the powerful culture in which they live, they start coming out of the shadows. Daniel had a supervisor who feared for his own life. Somehow Daniel got that supervisor to trust that by honoring God and not defiling himself, Daniel would be blessed and that supervisor would be blessed as well. Part of the lesson of Daniel is a missional lesson. 
when we stand up and we show some measure of resolve, not perfectly, not in every single area of our life all at once to be sure, but methodically, constantly, day after day after day, getting after it and with those that love us and we love, by our choices, we give a broader shoulder to risk against the powerful world in which we live. Faith inspires others to risk with me. And finally, lesson four. God's people have always lived in some form of exile, and God will not fail us. We always live in some kind of exile. I've said it at the beginning, but the, prob- uh, but the, but the promise is God never fails us. He never fails to give us the resources we need in order to stand up courageously in this culture of exile. But thankfully, through Jesus Christ, he also gives us the promise that we can get up and dust ourselves off when we realize that the chains of this exile have really, uh, you know, tethered us down. And so Daniel lived with the confidence that God was still gracious. I, I have to assume that because Daniel was not the sinless son of God, Jesus Christ, there were areas of compromise in Daniel's life. I I just have to assume that, even though Daniel, I mean, Daniel's one of those characters in Scripture where there is never any sin spoken of. And for us as Lutherans who believe in original sin and the sin that lives in our hearts and and the evil that is at work in us, that's a pretty amazing thing. He's right up there kind of with, uh, with Job. Job never sinned. He never apparently did anything wrong. Daniel didn't either. But I'm assuming... I'm assuming that because he, like us, was born into this sinful world that he probably messed up once or twice, but he always lived with the confidence that because God was merciful and gracious, a God of covenant who was always reaching out, therefore, it was always a day to live courageously again. For some of us in this room, we have been living mired in exile. We have been making choices regarding our culture and the screens that we watch and the conversations we have and the friendships we keep. We have made decisions that drag the character of our soul south. Today I remind you that the hope of the book of Daniel is a vision that takes us up up to a God who sends down his son Jesus so that when we were most tethered to sin, Christ died for the ungodly. And I want you to remember that today. And as you come and and bend the hearts and knees um, as you can and are able around this altar to receive this bread and wine, which is a sacred meal for us, it becomes the body and blood of Jesus Christ in a miraculous and a mysterious way that as you come forward today to be nourished by this sacred meal, that you'd remember God welcomes you from wherever you are, from whatever distance you have been living. He says, come and draw near to me. Be reconciled to me. Let's start it all over again because it's a great day in this world as we follow God. These are some of the lessons of Daniel. I bet you can find one or two more in there as well as you read through the book of Daniel and as we read in successive weeks, Pastor Allen and I look forward to preaching to you and as sharing with you the grace of what it means to follow a vision to the very end of time. And with that all in mind, let's bow our hearts and heads in prayer. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for Daniel. On your altar, O oh God, we come forward today and we bring our phones and our 
pads and our tablets and our laptops. We bring our wives and husbands and our kids and our grandkids. We bring our friends and neighbors. Everything we hold sacred, we bring to you. And we pray, dear God, that what we do with these sacred things in our lives, what we do with them would bring honor to you. We may live in exile, O oh God, we confess that today, but we, we are determined not to act like we do, like we belong there. We know we belong somewhere else. We know we belong to someone else, and that someone else is you, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus. So receive us this day and remind us of your great love. For this we ask in Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, amen.